Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. This is episode 251 of the podcast and I'm your host Aaron. Each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Go suck an egg. And that is this week's uh, link, hint. Do you know where that f- comes from? It's probably in the title of this podcast episode. <laughs> Go spit. That's it, we're talking about Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon 1 through 4, not a deep dive like last week when we took on the 1988 apocalyptic disaster movie 1988. Armageddon. 1988. 1988, yeah. is, is that what I said? You said 1988. Yeah. Which, which would have made it quite impressive. That would have been ahead of its time. Ahead of its time. Be still, Independence Day at that point. <laughs> which would make it a worthy film. Yeah. And we don't edit this podcast, so that's staying in. <laughs> We've got one shot of this. Like those heroes in Armageddon. Yes. Uh, but not the downloads, apparently. I don't know. Uh, and announced just this week, Armageddon 2, the bigger brother of the asteroid coming back to the Earth. And we won several awards for that episode, our 250 episode. We are officially the world's greatest podcast, so we thank you our millions and millions of listeners. Thank you. And now that we've completed it, we may as well do Lethal Weapon. We might as well go back to the roots. We are buddy cops. We're different. You're Aaron, I'm James. You know? Chalk and cheese. Chalk and cheese. You're, you're by the book. I hate the book, mate. I, I see out. myself more as Riggs and you as more Murtaugh. I'm definitely more Murtaugh. I'm so Murtaugh, mate. You're, you're more Murtaugh. Do you know why? Because I imagine you have a morning bath. That's weird. <laughs> that is weird. But I tell you what, he does have the time. It's, it's about as weird as his whole family joining him in the bathroom. To celebrate pro- their birthday. Yeah. Celebrate his birthday. It is weird. But also, if you think about it, this film's this film's a, an 80s darling. There's a lot to talk about with Lethal Weapon, the sequels, the fact that the fifth one is coming out now, which would make someone like Mortok 80 years old, because he's 50 at the start of this He's film. retiring <laughs> in the first scene of the first movie. <laughs> so we've got a lot to talk about. There was a TV series, which we're not going to talk about, but was a lot more successful than they thought it was going to be, thus reigniting the passion to get Mel Gibson from the blacklist back into Hollywood just before he rips it apart with his documentary that he's coming out with, supposedly. <laughs> Lethal. We live in a world where Lethal Weapon 5 has been greenlit. Well, Richard Donner wrote it, and apparently on his deathbed, <laughs> Does that, said, don't make it. <laughs> so I said, said to Mel Gibson, that if I'm not around to make it, you have to make it. And then, and so he's then Mel Gibson of, destroyed his career. No, no, <laughs> this was recently. Oh, this, really? this, oh. Richard Donner obviously passed. Uh, was it last year or the year before? Oh, did he? I didn't. Um, and yeah, Mel Gibson's like, I will, I will take the torch. I will do it. It's that you know, it's like, well, it's not like Mel's turning out his best stuff at the moment. No, what? <laughs> Passion of the Christ too, though. <laughs> Still Christing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, we're obviously going to look at the 88, uh, or is it 87? 87. 87, 87 uh, ri- directed by Richard Donner, written by Shane Black as well. Shane Black's got a filmography of mm. action films. This is right in his wheelhouse, the 80s, the early 90s. This is where he was doing his best work. Predator, this, bit of a gap. The good guys. <laughs> <laughs> Came back for Predator again. Yeah, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. <laughs> Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Gary Busey, uh, Mitchell Ryan, Tom Adkins. You know, it's a, it's it, everyone's seen Lethal Weapon. Everyone has seen Lethal Weapon. And the films that Lethal Weapon has spawned. Was it the first buddy cop movie? It wasn't. But maybe it did perfect it. With our main characters, you've got Roger Murdoch. Now, when you look at it this way, we are in 2023. He is 50 years old. He wears a suit and tie. He has a six-shooter. We are told throughout he's one of the old guys, which means his 20 years in the force have actually been in the 70s and 60s. He's the dragnet cop. Mm. He doesn't shoot to kill. He shoots to wound. He wants to get the answers. He's paired up with recently, um, recently widowed, PTSD. discharged, PTSD-ridden uh, rigs. The lethal weapon. The man out of control. The birth 
of the action hero that we got in the 80s and the 90s. That's what it is. It's, it's the goodbye of the good cop and the birth of the psycho cop mm. melded together in a film that's actually got more layers than you think. It's not a generic action film. It deals with issues like um, the Vietnam War, PTSD, Suicide in cops. The, the, the lack un- of um, the lack of uh, care and support yeah, to those exactly. returning. Yeah. There is quite a lot, and then obviously in the second, third, and fourth film, there is a comedy spin. But that first film, not only being a dark, microscopic introduction of LA law, but also a great, fantastic Christmas movie. That's right, it's a Christmas movie. It More is. merry Christmases than Die Hard, mate. And do you know what? I don't think it ever tops anyone's favourite '80s movie. But I've never met anyone to say a bad word against it. That's I think universally true. loved as a, yes. you know, like people are like, what's your favourite movie from the 80s? People are like, oh, you know, you know Die Hard or whatever space, it may be. Yeah. In Space, definitely. Yeah, The Thing, you know, whatever it is. And then, but, it, you know, what about Lethal Weapon? Time again. <laughs> <laughs> like, what about Lethal Weapon? Oh, yeah, great movie, great, great movie. movie great never movie. tops the list, but it's a good film. It's a good action movie. Great. Well acted. Obviously, Mel Gibson controversial. We've talked about him numerous times. We even did a podcast on him and this yeah. show. But we celebrate um, the art. The work, yeah, the work. not the individual. So we're looking at the work. We're looking at the creation of Martin Riggs, The Lethal Weapon, which again, I was young when I watched this, you know, and, and I think my memory of Lethal Weapon is when the fourth one came out. Yeah. Where actually I still have a promotional Lethal Weapon 4 key ring. Oh my God. From the, the audience. I mean, I was still not old enough to go watch it, but I remember my dad coming back from the cinema from Lethal Weapon 4. And even as a kid, I remember saying, was, was it any good? Because I'd seen the first three. And he said, no, because he, the, the thing with the fourth one is he's not a lethal weapon. He's yeah. settled down. He's it's like he's, Jet Lee's the lethal yeah, weapon he's in that met, film. He's <laughs> met Jean, uh, what's it, uh, Jim Rousseau. Jim and, Rousseau. And, um, and he's like, no, it just doesn't have, it has an element at the beginning, you know, where he's, you know, where he goes and shoots the, uh, the you know, the guy with the flamethrower. The guy with the, the flamethrower, yeah. And then he's kind of just racist throughout the film. <laughs> yeah, he's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. A lot of James <laughs> foreshadowing in his real life. Um, there you go, full circle. <laughs> the first film, the second, the third, there are elements to love, but the first one I think is a gem. I think it's a great film. I think it's, it's when people look at the Lethal Weapon series, they'll always think it's comedy, where the, the comedy is probably, do you know what, it's action pieces, well, big set pieces. You remember in the third one, it opens with the bomb. Mm. It opens with them in a car lot. Just, just doing a bomb very clever second one Murtaugh being on a toilet the first one where's the set piece and then you realise it's not the set piece it's everything it's everything about it. and do you know what that film is localised and studied quite a lot I'd never seen the film Lethal Weapon but I don't know if you you might have been too young for this there was a show on the BBC it might have been for children and they showed how they did special effects or stunts in film and they did the Murtaugh jumping uh, they did the rigs jumping off the building so many times, how they did it, what the stuntman did, where they landed, that type of thing. So I knew about this film long before I'd ever seen it. Oh my God, this is the famous jump scene I've seen. Like you could, And then the, the guy with painstaking editing was going, this is where it's not Mel Gibson. And it was when like the bloke who's quite clearly not Mel Gibson <laughs> jumps off the building. Yeah, that one. <laughs> it's, yeah, but I like that. There's something, oh, yeah, you, that you. 80s movies get a free pass for me when it comes oh, to definitely. knowing when the stuntman steps in. And when the and face and off, the face <laughs> off is face off is the moment in cinema history where that all went out the window. And and the nineties, unfortunately, is unforgiving when you see it. Yeah, talking about eighties charm, where you're like, I don't mind the visual effects. I don't mind, you know, that you can clearly see that that isn't the person. I don't mind that you can still see the wires that that person's. It's eighties. It's cheeky. It's charming. It's nostalgic. Mm-hmm. It's retro. There's something about the eighties where it gets a free pass. 
Didn't and, really, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. And I was going to say, very similar to, um, you know, we always talk about now in modern cinema, I'd always much rather see a CGI animal than a real animal because yeah. it means that there was no abuse or mishandling of, of a, you know, a sentient living being on on that uh, on that film set. And it's the same with action films. Uh, you know, Danny Trill's right. We talked about this quite a few weeks back. Where he's like, That's I don't tough. do the stunts because if I get injured and I cause a production, uh, a halt in production for three weeks while I heal... That's people's livelihood that's on stake because I was too bravo and macho that I wanted to jump for a window when there's someone who's trained and insured to do it. I'm just going to let them do it. And he's obviously looking at Tom Cruise, who famously broke his ankle but then still carried on shooting. Because <laughs> yeah. the rules don't apply to Tom Cruise because he feasts on the blood of the innocent. <laughs> which, actually, which actually might be true if a documentary comes out soon and we discover that. So... More, uh, lethal Weapon, and I've got a problem where I always call Lethal Weapon Mortal Kombat. Lethal Weapon to me is probably the perfection of maybe the buddy cop by the rules and by by the by the law book. Murtaugh is retiring. He's getting too old for this mm. shit. He tells us numerous times. <laughs> Mur- uh, Riggs coming out, burnt out. His wife has died, been murdered. He's felt the effects of that. He's living in a trailer, mate. Gets his bum out quite early on. He's got a dog for company. Doesn't have a family. They the don't get Max. on. It's Max, isn't it? Yes, it is nice. They don't get on. They don't get on in a really great way. Because you know when you watch a film and they're not, you know at some point they're going to like each other. Oh, they're the two main characters. They are going to like each other. Shane Black's got a perfect writing algorithm where in his films, I genuinely believe his, his characters don't like each mm. other. And I go back through quite a lot of that films. Is it The Good Guys with Russell Crowe and... Ryan Gosling, yeah. Ryan Gosling. I think he does a great job of, I don't think those characters like each other, but also it goes back to like Dylan and Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Predator. I don't think anyone likes each other on that squad. They're all terrified of Billy. I think he does a really good job of basically making characters believable that they don't like each Mm. other. It's actually very natural. Three quarters of the film go past and they're still not friends. They genuinely hate each other. (laughs) Because Murtaugh thinks that this guy's going to end his career because he's going to kill himself and then no one will want to work with Murtaugh. Even though he's retiring. (laughs) Even though he's retiring. Yeah, there is that bit in there after the jumper scene where he jumps sorry I mean jumpers in the, the yeah. building not like a sweater but, and, 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 <laughs> would have been much know, better yeah, where Gibson's brought him down and he and he throws him in that building that's under construction and he's like and there's that whole series like <laughs> he's trying to show him how to kill himself yeah. properly I've got my name I should have bought it my initials and he's like put it in your mouth there's <laughs> a whole don't like, bite the trigger <laughs> there's not a lot of love there to begin with there's they a lot. learn to love each other they do and it's over a bond of family that uh, Murtoch has and Riggs wants because that's what he wanted with his wife and then there's a genuine but then when you get into the third act we get let's be honest, one of the best henchman villains in a Mr. great Joshua. performance, Mr. Joshua, by everyone's second favourite crazy person. And a detective pet judge, <laughs> Gary Busey. Never forget. Never forget that if you need to go to pet court, he's the judge. Is he number one or number two? Because I just think Nick Nolte's got to be high. It's, it's, between, it's between those two. I think the two of them, I do think there's a survival show where you put them both on an island and just see what happens. <laughs> Loser gets eaten. <laughs> um, and it, it, even by the third one, when he has to do a deal, uh, Murtaugh's uh, oldest daughter is kidnapped. He has to kind of do a deal with the devil. He's like, are you as good as you think you are? And Murtaugh's basically on his knees. He's like, Riggs, I, I've spent the entire film kind of hating you. I need the lethal weapon that you claim to be. Are yeah. you it? And you get one of the weirdest scenes in the world where it's the only bad part of writing is they survive a terrorist attack and then randomly 
Riggs is talking to a prostitute and Ked's gone down with a shotgun and Murtaugh just happens to be there. It's weird, but you need Riggs to be out of the picture so they think they're winning. Anyways, it's the only one bad spot of the film, I would say, is not written oh, the well bit, The bit where he, yeah, he sets himself up to get shot, shotgun yeah, because but, they need to... But then Murtaugh's like, like su- but Murtaugh's surprised he's wearing a bulletproof vest. He's like, well, what did he think? He was just going to take it. Mm. <laughs> it's a bit weird. Anyway, and then you need him. You need Riggs. Maybe it's the first time I'd actually seen torture as well in a, in a big film. And it's not nice. It's brutal. Murtaugh is getting beaten. He's like, go suck an egg, go spit. Mm. Some of the greatest insults. Because you can say to, to your nan or a kid, go suck an egg. <laughs> Do you know what? If Murtaugh's told me anything, is there are insults for I, all ages. I do like that bit, though, where they're both, we're jumping the gun, we all go into it. Yeah, in sorry, I, I just talked about that. But just while we're on that torture bit. There is that bill here. Can imagine them going. So, do you want to be strapped to the chair and beaten, or do you want to be hung from your arms and electrocuted by I, the guy from Lethal from Die Hard? From Die Hard, who steals the crunch bar, the biggest villain. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the synopsis: Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. I remember getting this film on DVD um, when I was way too young, but when I had a Saturday job and HMV used to sell free five DVDs for Get twenty a box quid. Set, mate, you. Get the box set. I had the Blu-rays. I had the whole thing. You know, I went through a Mel Gibson stage. That grey. It was the most unattractive 80s cover of a grey screen, red writing, lethal weapon, Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and a black and white photo with the two of them. Mm. Particularly Danny Glover, side profile, gun cocked. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, these are cops. You know what I mean? Um, it, not the best 80s uh, front cover. It, there was a lot of conversation as well about it going up against Die Hard. There was Bruce Willis was attached to this. Uh, Mel Gibson was attached to that. These are the films that they landed on. I think this works out it better does work for both. Perfect. Yeah. Um, synopsis. Following the death of his wife, Los Angeles police detective Martin Riggs, Mel Gibson, becomes reckless and suicidal and is reassigned and partnered with Roger Murtaugh, played by Danny Glover. Riggs immediately clashes with the older officer, but together they uncover a massive drug trafficking ring. As they encounter increasingly dangerous situations, Riggs and Murtaugh begin to form a bond and Riggs' volatile behaviour might just be the thing to help them apprehend the criminals if he doesn't kill them both first. It It is that type of film from that age where I imagine the trailer, in my head... I've got that like Mandela effect where every trailer from the 80s starts with in a world, yes. you know, in a world where a suicidal cop gets paired with a veteran, anything could happen. <laughs> One of them wants to die. The other doesn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other, the normal person doesn't. Um, yeah. It's got that, uh, that one of them's got a gun. The other's got a slingshot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you now before I forget, actually with this, there are, is it this film or it's one of them? It's one of them where Riggs goes round and he meets the family. It is this one. Yeah. And um, he meets Murtaugh's family. Lovely family. Brilliant family. Eating dinner together. Really yeah. nice scene. And I remember the bit where he's like, do you want dessert? And they bring out these pies out the freezer. And they're massive. And I'm like, the size of them desserts. <laughs> Murtaugh's family rocks. This is awesome. I reckon Murtaugh's on the take. Because our house is a lot, is a lot fancier than it should be. Well, he's retiring he's got... and he's building an extension. So he must have got a good payout. Mm. I think some of his drug money went missing. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm, we're not going to go for it scene by scene, but just, you know, there are some uh, some brilliant bits there. And there is, as always with 80s movies, there's an uncut, director's cut version, which is significantly better. There is, however, there's a lot of words that you won't get. There's a lot of um, anti-gay inflammatory remarks as well in yeah. this, which I didn't realise watching this. I was like, I don't remember any of this. There's not a lot, but like... The character that dies at the beginning of the film is having lesbian sex, which is it's like literally one of the characters goes, Ugh. and I was like, oh my God, that yeah. actually happens. And then there's it's some the kind of film expletives. If it, if yes. it was on Disney, there'd be a warning. In the yes. So if you are offended by that, I think we'd probably give this a miss. However, it's, it's a product of the time mm. where 
And I'm saying it's right. That there is, you know, move on. <laughs> but it's, it's that's a hole, and I've avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it, like I say, it's a it's a it's a great action cop movie with some great scenes. I love the Christmas tree scene at the beginning, where Mel Gibson's there. Uh, a little, little bit of trivia for this bit: uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers singer Anthony Kiedis. Yes, his dad. <gasps> is the guy in the checkered shirt that uh, is trying to sell the drugs to Mel Gibson in this scene. Ooh. And um, Mel Gibson, uh, obviously, well, he reveals himself as a cop and then shoots them all. That's another, like, 90s figure, 80s yeah. figure, isn't it? It's like Just going him. on a bust and it's like, oh, it went wrong. Oh, plan B, shoot them all, kill them all. Nah. Yeah, and there's that whole scene there where he's like, if, if someone calls him crazy, because if you go crazy, and he goes like, he does a chicken thing. That's weird, isn't it? But if somehow allows him to pull his gun out quicker, so it's like he hooked up. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like, they're looking at him going, why is he slapping his face? It's because ah, he's got a gun, right? <laughs> well, love it. He, he might shoot us. No, he definitely will. Look it, at him. So it really starts early, this film, and his kind of death wish, because a guy has a gun to his head, and in complete different fashion, he's telling all the other cops to shoot, shoot him. Yeah. Someone shoot this prick. And then, because he doesn't care. Yeah. He's, mate, he's a loose cannon. He's on the edge. He's... It's almost funny now when you you know like when you think about the stereotype. Hilarious, that, mate. No, no, but do you know what I mean? Like how many films now have kind of take that 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 character, that archetype yeah. character. You know, nothing left to lose. You know, like you it's know, boring bit, now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I imagine in the eighties, they were like, oh, he's he's not well. He needs some help. Yeah, he's nowadays, it's like, oh, that's cool. That's maverick. That's different. That's dangerous. So it's really funny. I was watching this film and I was thinking. So I made the link. So Murtock is the old school black and white detective. You know, I know he does not how he ends but it's the passing of a guard. And I was thinking, you know what's popular now? Cop procedurals. So if you did Lethal Weapon now, it would be the rundown maverick who's, who's shooting people. And the hero would be the guy that came in and was like, no, let's let's apply some laws. <laughs> let's let's get them an attorney. Which is weird because that is actually what's happening. People love a procedural. Um, I do think if you look at the casting, just because you brought it up, I don't think anyone could actually do rigs other than Mel Gibson. And I think... Danny Donald, uh, Donald Danny Glover. I always get confused with Donald Glover, obviously. Mm. Uh, Danny Glover. I genuinely think these might be uncast, uh, recastable parts, unrecastable parts. Like, who do you get to play these chalk and cheese characters? Well, maybe it's because we grew up and we can only accept them. Mm. But I do think like the casting's great. It was it was casted by Marion Doherty, who who their first pick was Mel Gibson, Danny Glover. Mm. I know there's the talk about um, Bruce, Willis. Bruce Willis being involved in the project and then taking on Die Hard. And there's rumours as well that Mel Gibson turned down The Fly and The Untouchables, which came out in 87. Wise choice. Yeah, to do <laughs> History to do would this. choose them as wise. Um, and the two auditioned together and hit it off. And, and that's Great really interesting, isn't it? Because you look at now, they're, they're obviously auditioning for Lois and Superman, aren't they? Oh, they've cast them now. And the, yeah, but they're yeah. auditioning them in pairs as well to oh, see what right, the chemistry right. is like. Um but yeah, I think you're right. I think the casting is 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 bang on. I do think as well that we, we have to talk about villains, the general, the idea as well. Oh, and also <clears throat> the idea of friendship. So there's no friendship between Riggs and Murtoch. And in fact, the whole film starts because of Murtoch's relationship with another mm. gentleman and how that's been portrayed and how he's portrayed everything, uh, everything he stood for, like the bonds of togetherness in the army, completely shattered by the end. And into the mix, I've got to admit, Mr. Joshua, who based his performance on a shark, yeah, which is a fact I learned from you in this very podcast. Yeah, he did. Shark personified because genuinely, Gary Busey was a great henchman. He yeah. was such a great henchman. The scene where he burns himself when he's introduced as just a mercenary, but he burns himself to prove his loyalty and then basically spends the rest of the film in a white cardigan and somehow incredibly menacing. Booyah. 
<laughs> he's the takeover in this. I, mean, I, mean, you, I know we talked about like Lethal Weapon's great, but Mr. John is the best. If you've got two good, 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 uh, good guys or cops, you, you, need, you, need, a, you need an awesome henchman or villain. Which is what I feel like is lacking in probably the third film. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, the third film was meant to be dialed through with Vengeance. The script was being bounced for both. I kind of want to see that for Lethal Weapon, to be honest. So Lethal Weapon, uh, so Dialed Free was also going, that was going to be on a, on a ship, wasn't it? And um, what we... we... <laughs> Sorry, because you said that and I've instantly gone Speed 2. <laughs> no, but I think, I think Speed 2 killed it. I think that it was it was something... Thank, thank you, Speed 2. Something came out in the 90s. Oh God, we talked about this recently. So, oh, it was Speed 2. This. Speed 2 killed a lot of things. No, but I think Speed 2, yeah. Something, anyway, something killed off the idea of using a boat. Yeah. And um, so they moved to the Dard Free script, which what it was, but Dard Free script was originally penned and open. That this that Lethal Weapon Free for very briefly um, could have been considered to be a sequel. Yeah, screenplay. Bloody hell! Um, so you got great friends, and you got a storyline. Which, I, to be honest, as a kid, did you understand it? I didn't. It's only when I got an adult that I actually realised there is a not complex but a complicated storyline. Mm. We're basically about um, a cabal of um, former an army team led by a general who's basically using the connections that they made in the army to smuggle heroin into the country yeah. become a heroin spy and this link that they've got to Murtaugh is this friend who's basically been uh, working alongside them who got cold feet so they killed his daughter by basically drugging her but she threw herself out of a window everyone thinks it's suicide it's not it's murder it goes on from here and you get a lot of catchphrases realistic um, they come up later in the films but they don't come across as corny which is something that obviously happened in the action films the one lines in this one very organic thin anorexic very good quite like that carries on as the characters grow in their relationship as do we we gain a greater appreciation because we start to I don't know about you but Riggs is very unlikable until the scene where he eats uh, a dinner with the Murtaugh family and he sees this family and mm. he, he kind of softens we get an immediate snap back to the lethal weapon and what I mean by that is Mel Gibson uh, I don't really speak about how great he is he does a fantastic performance his performance is on a pin needle he, he's does a great job of being unhinged, but he does a great job of wanting the family that Murtaugh has. And the third, the third act, when he splits between both, when his, he's not in it for revenge, he's doing it to help Murtaugh, a person he doesn't even really like. I think the character actually really fleshes that, out in that third act. You're, you're 100% right, because what they both get from each other, because it's a give and take relationship, isn't it? And what they both get from each other is, um, Mel Gibson gets the feeling, or Riggs's character gets the feeling of belonging to a family. Yeah. Uh, the family that he's lost, whereas he physically helps save yeah. Murtaugh's family. So there's like a trade and that's how they kind of come to be. The original ending of the movie as well was Murtaugh ha going to hand his retirement paper in or whatever and Riggs stops him at the door and is like, you're not doing it, kind oh. of thing. And it sets up the sequel. Um, apparently there was also an alternative ending that is on the behind the scenes of the fourth film's DVD and the commentary. It's when Mr. Joshua eats everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he literally turns into a shark. No, there's a, the original opening of the film was um, Mel Gibson drinking in a bar and this like he, someone tries to rob him and he beats shit out of him and then the bartender's like, I don't want you to come back and then Gibson like takes a bottle off the bar and walks off with it and they were like, no, no, because he's meant to be a hero so let's do it a bit. <laughs> let's let him beat your man yeah, to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they changed it but it is on the behind the scenes of it. Um, I think what you've got here as well is a quite well-paced film. So it's a, it's two hours and 15 minutes, as I recall. I did write my notes somewhere. I haven't got my phone with me. But it doesn't feel that long. You've got two... You, as the openings go, the first act does everything it needs to, introduces it to. And the action scenes are very short and snappy, but they're also 
well played, mm. as in they don't overstay their welcome. In like certain action films in the eighties, especially nice, they go on for so long you'd you'd forget about geography. That's a that's a complaint I got about the Face Off series. Like I don't know where anyone is in relation yeah. to anyone because yeah. you don't have this problem here. Because the, the, the longest fight scene in the first two acts is only probably about six minutes. It's not over the top. It's in the third act we get the long scenes where basically apparently there's only two cops in the whole of LA, which is hilarious because Mel Gibson at one point is running on the freeway with an Uzi and no one seems to give a shit. <laughs> um, absolutely adore this film. And I really think it is it's a credit to the writing in its action film to set up a genre, maybe defining the buddy cop movie and kind of making it accessible for all. Because this starts off, this is probably the pinnacle of the buddy cop movie, not the first, but maybe the one that perfected it. I think the bold words, mate. Bold words. You know, looking around the trivia of the movie, of course, trivia on the internet, you could always say it with a pinch of salt, could be real, mm. could be not. But the one that, if it is real, is the most fascinating is that Leonard Nimoy was considered to direct it, but he couldn't because he was already committed to three men and a baby. <laughs> This, this, there's so much in that sentence to but, but I, I, Leonard Nimoy directed Three Men and Baby yeah. I didn't know that. what you're going to have yeah. to yes, fucking googling that yes Leonard Nimoy Spock fame directed fucking Three Men and a Baby yes with yeah, Tom I mean, Selleck head dancing and, and a, fucking Gutenberg and a baby <laughs> The baby and a ghost and a real ghost in that movie remember yes I remember oh my god Leonard what else did he direct? <laughs> right, we've gone off on a Wait, tangent. Wait, he's still swinging on something then Spock. They're not Nimoy. Here he goes. Up. Man looks up something on an internet. Um, anyway, what do you think about Lethal Weapon? I love it. It's one of my favourite. I mean, like, you know, it's hard to talk on a film podcast about Mel Gibson's career without so, we, Why do we like, do this? <laughs> feeling like you're towing a very dangerous line. And we always, as we keep saying, we're looking at the work, not the person. You know, Fucking hell, he did three men and a baby. Yeah. But I do. Didn't I do, do the sequel. I respect him. Stay <laughs> <laughs> so clear of that shit. I think, um, I, I, you know, I think looking at Mel Gibson's work as an actor in this film, he does make the film. He does make the character. I can't, it's one of those performances where I couldn't really imagine that many other people doing it. Yeah, it also makes it really hard to recast as well because he does it so well, and it's probably well Gibson's. And this is controversial as well. His biggest role. Like, when you think of Mel Gibson, do you think Riggs mm. and how defining he was for a generation and a genre? It's difficult. I'm glad that we picked this. <laughs> there's a there's a, there's a weird parallel as well that um, in the film, he, Riggs has come back from Vietnam and it says about how someone saved his life over there. And then years later, the same battle is in We Were Soldiers that um, Mel Gibson was in. And so that in a weird parallel, he could have saved. He Riggs. could have saved himself. <laughs> could, can you imagine that? Get, get at the end of that movie, what, <laughs> he looks across and there's just a CGI. Riggs, watch there. out! Yeah. <laughs> I've got a thing for you. The um, if if Mr. Joshua didn't have the same tattoo as mm. Mel Gibson, or paint, you painted. Does that mean that there would have been no ending? They'd be like, no, I don't know who it was. Well, I might as well go home then. Yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that kid literally is like, he had paint. What? That paint? That's so specific. Yeah, so specific. That exact one. And at no point did anyone go, Briggs, you didn't have a blow off this woman's apartment. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's, a, I mean, there's, to get from A to B, there's, you've got to take a few jumps in this film. Oh, but, I like that, yeah. But uh, is this the one as well where they go, I think, or is it the second one, where they go, that 
they have a shootout near a pool and a guy falls on the pool cover. It's this one because because Murtaugh's just had a go at Riggs about killing people because yeah. he shoots him in the it leg. Is that one. Yeah. And then and then basically I think Mel Gibson say, saves his life because he has a gun in his hand yeah. which Murtaugh hasn't seen. He shoots him like three times. The guy falls in the pool and then like to prove a dick point it's like oh, I'll go save him yeah. after I saved your fucking life and then takes his shirt off. Luckily he doesn't get his bum out but it's Mel Gibson it was the yeah, 80s illegally contracted to get his bum out as much as possible. But that it's really, a good bum let's that, be honest. It was it was. I don't think it was a stump bum. It wasn't a stump bum. That really freaked me out for the longest time about like falling on a pool cover. Hey, do you know what? I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. It's horrible. I, yeah. The Sopranos um, does a horrible job of that as well. Oh, I, yeah. I was talking about Sopranos earlier today, actually. Oh. Many Saints in Newark. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think it's a great movie. I think the first one's brilliant. The second one, you know, when we move into the sequel territory, like any it's, movie, if it makes enough money, if you've got chemistry... If you've got actors wanting to return, why wouldn't you make a sequel? I do genuinely think as well, this is based on chemistry because Murtaugh and Riggs are synonymous and you go with Danny Glover and you go with Mel Gibson. They bounced off each other brilliantly, made a lot of money, it was very successful. Of course, you can have a second one. But like all sequels, you go bigger, your budget gets higher and for some reason you think that the darkness that really made your film different and stand out was really good wasn't as good as the comedy that wasn't really in the film that much. Yeah. So you, you get like slap slap your thigh kind of lines on this one I'll be honest I don't really like the second one yeah. it's alright it's good I like the chemistry it's still there and I'm going to you're going to go through the synopsis I'm just going to tell you now the fact that South Africa decides to blow up LA cops and no one goes whoa maybe you shouldn't do that South Africa I know you've got diplomatic immunity mm. but stop shooting our cops there was something as well about it isn't there there was, there was a, it was a, it was a Richard well. yeah it was a Richard Donner Richard Donner that was thing. it yeah where he wanted that apartheid conversation in the first film there is a there's a South African flag yeah in a certain scene and I think it was always laced to have it but the second movie South African smugglers find themselves being um, hounded and harassed by Riggs and Murtaugh to mismatch Los Angeles police officers however the South Africans are protected by diplomatic immunity that's the one and so the two are assigned (laughs) to witness protection duty in an attempt by their captain to keep his job it's only then when uh, the witness yeah. played by um, Joe Pesci. No, not uh, uh, oh, sorry, it's Joe Pesci. It's Jeffrey. You're fucking Leo Betts. Leo Getz. It's not Leo Getz. I was talking about. It was um, oh, what's the name? Was in this film? Married Liam Gallagher. Oh, it's, it makes Kenzit. Patsy Kenzit. Patsy Kenzit. Yeah. Um, it's only when. Uh, oh, do you know what? Was... She was famous before I even knew what she was famous for. Like I didn't know she was in this film. I knew that she married Noel Gallagher, but I didn't realize. Like everyone, do you uh, still about Patsy Kenzit? Believe. Was, <sighs> They're both kind of useless, aren't they? Yeah. There's so, someone screaming out there, the, the one Oasis fan. It's like, they'll get back together one day. No, they won't. <laughs> get they will, mate. The amount of money that's on the cards for that, of course they're going to. They will go back together. And plus, Blur have just brought out an album. So they're, they're, they're going to want to revival some of that Britpop dial. You Do know, you remember that was the most pathetic thing growing up? It was like, oh, they said they'd have them in a fight. <laughs> Who gives a shit? But behind the scenes, they were drinking together and mates in bars. It was all, you know, it was all, all shit. Yeah. So second one, a bit duller, um, I think, the, in terms of storyline and action. I but, don't think you, you're not a fan of the introduction of Leo Getz as a character, are you? I, I can't stand Leo Getz as a character. And I know that that's the point, but. Yeah. I'd, oh, I, there's, do you know what he says something when in the fourth one, I'm on Chris Rock's side when because he hates Leo. Yeah, and I'm like, go on, Chris Rock. Just I yeah. do. I know you don't like the character of Leo Getz. I do. I think Joe Pesci does a great job, and I I quite like the character of Leo Getz. The introduction that he's annoying. They bond over their hatred of him because they don't like the fact yeah. that they're in this protection. Okay, 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 okay. 
you, do you know what? And you've summed it up there. I don't like that. And that's that's all achingly not funny. Yeah. I mean, there is that, that bit in the hotel where they have to throw him in the swimming pool from like yes. 20 floors up. But he is responsible for one of the funniest lines in an action film. It's when they're trying to sneak into the consulate and he takes Murtoch in and he's, he's explaining to oh, the guy. Yeah. Like, and, he's like, and he's like, my friend wants to go to South Africa, but I want you to talk him out of it. He goes, why? South Africa is great. And he turns out, but you're black. You're black. <laughs> and that's great. Yeah. I fucking, that bit is funny as hell. Well, when it, when it, yeah, because I, I can't do accents, but there are certain words in accents that, you know, I'll be honest, I don't think I could do accents, but, but I tried. I think, you know, like, like if you're, if you're Geordie, you know, poopa scoopa, it works. <laughs> and, but uh, I think South African is, it's Galamari. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that one word. It sounds. Like... Tell you what, though, very forgettable henchman. When you go from Mr. Joshua to guy, quite clearly wearing wig, guy, <laughs> guy, guy everyone's like, looks a bit like Adolf. Then get called Adolf. <laughs> you've got two guys. You've got the foul guy who the only other he only ever plays a villain or the good guy, uh, the, like the mentor in Mighty Ducks one and three. Didn't sign on for the second one. <laughs> Fucking mate, integrity. He didn't want to be there for the sellout one. Um, but then you've got the actual henchman who's, who's like the direct opposite. He's just, he's responsible for killing Riggs's wife and it comes out of nowhere and doesn't pay off and is not very good. Big set scenes in this one, won't like we said, the one you're going to remember is the very funny scene and it's very well thought out, bearing in mind, they start killing off the LA cops. They're, they're destroying them. There's like a pool, uh, a card game. They shoot the whole place up. They're all dead. There's a bomb. Um, however, Phil Murtaugh, because he's a name code, they're like, should we shoot him? No, 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 no put a bomb on the toilet. They put a bomb on the toilet and his legs go numb. And then what's really nice of them, they've also written on the toilet paper, boom, so he knows they sat in a bomb. So if they hadn't done that, probably would have worked. Probably would have worked, yeah. <laughs> Shut yourself in the foot with that one. Uh, really good, really good though scene where uh, Riggs is with him. Mm. I do like that. I love, those, those are the moments that I really like about this series. When it's usually those two in a ridiculous situation, I would put the toilet bomb up high in the list. Number one for me, though, we'll talk about it in a second when it comes up, but this is literally one of my favourite moments where the brotherhood, mm. they're talking about because he can't jump and move because his legs don't work because he's been sat on the toilet for eight hours, which we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I've been there for <laughs> After a night, when we've gone to Top Cap, you're Lincoln, mm. mate. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do like that bit. And it's like, because uh, the aftermath as well, when they're covered in like debris and soot and smoke and everything it would have been like can you pull your trousers up now <laughs> you dick off me <laughs> um, yeah Josh Ackland's who you're on about in terms of the uh, main the main villain in this movie yeah um, who Bill and Ted I mean he's probably he's, he's most oh, famous yeah, there you go. Hunt yeah. for Red October um, Dean Norris is in this film as well he, he's one of the other police team because the there, squad all, get yeah. taken out don't they in this in this film in a montage scene um so yeah, it's it, again, Paul House down as well, which is pretty. I never, I've, I don't know about you, but I've never wanted to build. Have you ever looked at a house and gone, do you know what I really like? I really like the idea that my house could fall down a fucking cliff at any moment. It's odd, isn't it? <laughs> so I'd never. Architects, again, touch. Why? <laughs> Why? Who wants to live like that? Apparently, very easy to take down. I don't like the second one, I'll be honest. Don't like the end as well. There's a moment as well where Murtaugh, when they're in the um, c containers at the end and he picks up some money, mm. and he's like, I could put my kids through college for that, but it's blood money. But but it's like, but he also thinks about it. So if it wasn't blood money, would he would he be a corrupt cop? <laughs> See, <I laughs> like, if he wasn't South Africa, if it was like normal drug yeah. dealers, would he have just, he would have been fine with it. But yeah, of course, well, I'll just take a couple of grand. It'd be, it'd be lovely. I think th there is, there is a moment though, like in the, like, so, you know, you're supposed to think honourable good guys. Good yes. guys, you know, the heroes, the people that we aspire to be, you know, or, or whatever it is. Gates from but, national treasure. <laughs> but in a movie like this, 
if he did at the end of the film be like, fucking hell, there's, there's like 50k on the floor there. Yeah, just what? I wouldn't leave the cinema going, oh, do you know what? I really like that guy until he took that money at the end. <laughs> I'm fucking, anyone would do it, wouldn't you? Like, just, I chew all, no, look yeah. like something, no one blame you. <laughs> um, the second one, yeah, it does have some action sequences in it and at the end it does have a pretty good uh, way to, for, for a villain to go. But Leo there, gets is a ball. Like, there is, yeah. There's that, uh, is it as bad as I remember? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't really like the second one. The second one, and I know we disagree on this one. I I think the second one's the worst one of the four. I know we're not ranking them. I'm just for me, second is the lowest. Mm. Should we go on to number three? Number three. So this one is he's retiring for definite at the end of this one, mate. Bullshit. He's definitely retiring. But this one's not actually about him. This one's about the the love that blossoms. So <clears throat> IA gets involved because I believe terrorists. Domestic terrorists are taking control of guns that the police mm. have already destroyed using cop killers, hollow point bullets, mate. Armor piercing rounds. Armor piercing rounds, and they're on the street. Now this I, one, I, I, sorry, I like how it's almost like that. Th- that's taboo. It's like it's like bullets. Yeah, the are guns bad. are fine, but, but yeah, this it's, one. it's like bullets are bad. No, but these bullets are go through armor, <laughs> so that's like that's that's not fair. You know, brings it down though. And what I really like about this, so the character is is a former cop. They get IA IA internal investigations involved, internal affairs involved, bringing in Gene Russo. Uh, Rene Russo, sorry. Rene Russo. Did, we said Gene We did say Gene Russo. Yeah, it's, it's Mate, Rene I'd have watched the shit out of that. Jean Reno. Come here. Rene Russo, who is the IA cop, who basically is the equal of Riggs. That's right. Riggs has got a second love interest because Kenzie died in the last one. Don't worry about it. She's not that good. <laughs> you get over it quite quickly. We've got Rene Russo, mate. She's here and she's full of vinegar. She's his equal. She's the lethal weapon kind of in this one. Mm. Um, I don't like that character. I don't like where that goes. It's all right. For me, though, it's actually the storyline, the Murtoch stuff. Murtoch has, he, so he's a family man. He's got a, a young uh, male child who's basically of that age, young teenager, could be influenced by the world of drugs and crime. And he knows a kid on his street, Daryl. Daryl gets killed by, he accidentally has to kill Daryl or get killed himself. And there's a heartbreaking scene where he goes to the funeral. His mother blames him. The father's like, if you want to, do the right thing, find out who put the gun in my son's hand. Yeah. And there's the gang culture uh, that's explored in this, which obviously LA is quite daring to go through this route, if you think about it. I really like that storyline. And and I think Murtaugh and Danny Glover does a really good job of of being like that. He's killed a kid. There's mm. a, there's a genuinely a heartbreaking scene where he can't like deal with it. He's like, I don't know what I've done. And I thought they were going down the route of the first one, where he's the one that's now depressed. He's thinking about what's the point. Is Riggs who's got to turn around. They do kind of drop it quickly. But Leo gets, mate. He's still in it and he's still... I mean, he shoehorned himself onto the poster. Yeah. Bear in mind that... And I love Joe Pesci, mate. I love Joe Pesci. One of the most underrated guys of all time. But Leo gets needs to fuck off and die. Yeah, it's one of them posters that's a bit unforgiving because it's... You know, I mean, Joe Pesci was hot shit at this point. I mean, you've got to think, by this time he'd done... So what what, what year did the third one come out? They came out in... I want to say 93? 94. 95. One I'll of, have to check it one out. One of many films. <laughs> one of many years. Hold on. It wasn't I4. It, We've it done is I4. 92. Came out in 92. Well, the other films came out quick, didn't they? So, I mean, Joe Pesci's, you know, hot shit by this point. The the, the front covers of Leaf Weapon movies aren't that great anyway, but by this point, Riggs and Murtaugh do look like a kind of parody of themselves. So, bear in mind, we had had Loaded Weapon, the, the, the kind of... The actual parody. The, yeah. And What's then, your... My favourite joke is where they shoot up uh, Bruce Willis's house. It's oh, like, yeah. he doesn't live over here. He's over there. Yeah. <laughs> Still got his white vest on. <laughs> uh, veteran police uh, detective Roger Murtaugh, Danny Glover still, is only days away from retirement. Shocking. Um, when he and his tough partner, Martin Riggs, 
are roped into an important internal affairs case, working with the beautiful, non no nonsense Sergeant uh, Lorna Colplo by uh, Rene Rousseau, and aided should be Jean Rousseau, <laughs> aided by the shifty informant Leo Getz, Joe Pesci, Murtar and Riggs begin to close in on a black market weapons operation involving corrupt cop and armed dealer. Jack Travis, played by Stuart Wilson. Right, I'm going to say there. Now, Jack Travis gets, <clears throat> they got on his case really early, but how they got on his is some of the laziest writing. It just so happens that Leo Getz recognises him. We're Shane so, Black again, this one, I think. I, this one doesn't work. This one doesn't work for me, the writing was. I think the acting is actually very good in it. But there's, <clears throat> with Murtaugh going through his depression, Rick spends a lot more time with Lorna Cole. That's when they go to, like, I do think they've got great chemistry, actually. I do think they play off. There's a scene in the fight scene where they go to a mechanic and Riggs doesn't get involved in the fight because he lets Lorna Cole do it and she kicks ass just as well as Riggs. I think that's fine, actually. In fact, do you know what? Now I've talked myself into it. I actually quite like that. It's quite good. But the storyline about this corrupt cop just walking in, <clears throat> like you get introduced to a young cop early on who doesn't wear his, uh, who doesn't wear his vest. Might as well just call him Colonel Suicide because he was so fucking dead. <laughs> As soon as we learn about him, then there's, mm. and then the idea is, well, we know he's not going to retire. But again, he gets very, very drunk. He's on his boat, which is great because you never actually see him on a boat till the fourth one, which I do quite like. You mm. can pay off for the boat scene. But there's a horrible scene where basically Riggs goes to, <laughs> Riggs goes to talk to him, but he's so drunk and depressed, Murtaugh, that there's a misunderstanding. He thinks he slept with his daughter, which is a recurring joke through the three films, which is a bit weird. But it's like, when you retire, you're leaving me. I'm your family as well. Heartbreaking scene. I generally think the third one, whilst the writing's not very good, the acting's fucking phenomenal. I really like the third one. It's those layers. It's like, I have four, I have three kids. I love them. They're yours. Mm. Like, genuinely. Uh, and again, I said earlier, I don't give Mel Gibson a lot of credit, but he acts the balls out of the, in this film. And so does Danny Glover. They're fantastic. Yeah. And this is the one as well where his daughter's like branching out into an acting career. There's this the joke one we, that she does the condoms. This is the condoms. I thought this was the second one. Oh, is that the second I one? I think the second one was like, oh, I think she waits. She makes me oh, want to go out. Oh, the second one because Dean Norris makes the joke. Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah he's she makes me want to go out and buy Johnny's. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. AEs during the AEs have pandemic. Wear condoms, AEs. Wear them. <laughs> <laughs> Dickheads. The third one, to me, had, and, you know, I watched this young where it was all about the action. Yeah. And it didn't have, it had more story it, it than it did have the action. action. So, you know, um, the big fire scene comes down to a digger. Like they yeah, get crushed by a digger, but, 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 but he's got the armor piercing around, so they use the armor piercing around <laughs> to kill him. And just like, oh, there's a self-contained story. In it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, the the, the construction. Do right, but there is a moment here where if you don't like Leo Getz, he does get his comeuppance because he gets shot, and then Mel Gibson orders a battery of anal tests. On him. Yeah. yeah, there is a bit of comedy in this one. Yeah, too maybe too much. I do like the third one. I thought the acting was so good in it. Yeah, yeah, not 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 the most action of the four. Whereas the fourth one, I think, tried to amalgamate all those. It tried to have the action, tried to have a bit of story. Tried it's to have... got social commentary. It's got commentary about everything, and then it also brings in quite possibly maybe the hottest Asian star at the time, Kung. Uh, was, is it Kung Fu Karate? I don't know what Jet Li specialises in, but man, that mm. guy was fucking everywhere at this time and did things that basically the human body shouldn't be able to do. Yeah. There, there's the cool scene, is it, where he rips a gun apart. And, he, yeah. and, and that's the, that's like the main focus at the end. It's like, I really want to know how he yeah, pulled that gun yeah. apart. <laughs> and that's the, that's the hint, isn't it? That's the old dog. It's the, yeah. it's the um, I am still a bit lethal. The problem My is... My old weapon, this one, should have been called. The problem is lethal weapon. This one's... Mm, Tepid weapon. I was literally going to get a flaccid weapon. <laughs> <laughs> if you are hard in the first one, mate, you, you need pills now. You're so, done. 
In this film, Riggs uh, tries to settle down with his pregnant girlfriend, Lorna, played by... Don't Ray we get Rousseau. married, though. Yeah, well, uh, his partner, Murtar, comes to grips with the marriage of his pregnant daughter, Rianne, played by Tracy Wolfe, to follow uh, to fellow sorry cop Butters played by Chris Rock, they oh, find God. themselves and their families targeted by Chinese mobsters led by um, Wa Sing Ku played by Jet Li, Riggs, Murtar, Butters, and now Private Eye Leo gets Joe Pesci returning. Decide to go on the offensive before the gangsters can get their loved ones. It's bullshit, isn't it? It's I do what it opens with them fishing, which I'll be honest was one of my. Sorry, I've missed it. When we go back to the third mm. one, my favourite lethal weapon moment is the beginning where they're doing a bomb and Murtaugh's like, the only three people stupid enough to be in this building are you, me and this cat. <laughs> oh, the cat, yeah, I yeah. fucking love that. That's my... And it's got, like, the end credit is when another building explodes and mm. they drive away because they don't want to be associated with it. That's fucking hilarious because mm. you spent a massive budget on a 30-second gag. Um, uh, this one, I've, I think it's got the second best opening, but they're trying to shoot a... Shark, yeah, and, <laughs> and that's the only time I genuinely like Leo gets is when he tries to shoot a shark in the head with a pistol. <laughs> well, this one, yeah, this one opens with the flamethrower guy, doesn't it? Oh, does it? And oh, then, then it's the shit. Yeah, oh, sorry, and then, yeah. Um, and then what's his day? He, he, Daddy Glover, he, he cooks like a chicken, yeah. and he goes, "Why did you? Why do you, do you see the cooking hell?" He's like, "Yeah, what's he, <laughs> I did go out laugh at that. Yeah, you go out there and act like a chicken. It'll startle him, and then, and then he shoots the gas canister on the back. Whereas, whereas the difference here is at the third one after their mishap. They get demoted to patrolman, which is what kickstarts the story. In this one, they're promoted to captain, which doesn't make any sense to for their insurance. Yeah, just pay off. That's all. Um, Murtaugh, how's retirement going? He's still going, <laughs> isn't he? I, I, like this one, I remember watching this one after my dad made the infamous quote about him not being lethal anymore. And there's like the only scene really in it is the bit when they're. Is it when he jumps off the building? But he doesn't it, jump off the building. He just kind of goes because he's bored. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's, they, they get the they get the dumpster below him, and they're like, on the count of three, one, two, and he drops. It's like that's what I mean. It's not as lethal. It's not lethal. You know, it's bland weapon. <laughs> and like I said, it is. There are some. You know, I know that in terms of the language that's used in film has moved on. This one is just. I out. think this one's too much. It, yeah, it, Riggs comes across as just a nasty racist in yeah. a lot of scenes. Um particularly the scene when, you know, they, they get someone high on laughing gas. Yeah. Um, you know, and he doesn't... I remember watching this and being like, oh, they've strayed from the path of who Riggs is. You know, yeah. I know in the first one, he's like, a, he's got the PTSD, he's a war veteran. You know, he's he's lost his wife. I mean, he is... He, everything is going against this person. Mm. And it's a, it's incredible that he's managing to to wake up in the morning and do a job and, and actually get a case done. And by this one... You know, it's it's great that he's kind of his arc is that he's now settling down, not getting married, but he's having a kid. He's got all those bits. It's grown as a person as well. But getting that he, family that in the first one we wanted. Yeah, but the, <clears throat> but it has also regressed in becoming not a nice person. Oh, he's a dick, isn't he? Yeah. There's a bit where he smashes like a window on his way out of this restaurant, and and I know it's the villains that he's in, and we know they're the villains. But, but still, still dick it move. comes across as a dick move. You like because it's a abuse of power because you are a detective in that. At a and I don't think that's me reading too much into it. I just remember at the time no, thinking he, he's just there's sometimes even he looks, he's, he's a bit of a dick. Even I'm I'm with you. You know when we talk about like the first one, some of the language used when we talked about is anti anti gay words in it. Mm. That's a product of his time. When this film when this film came out, I still don't think it was right. It's fucking bare knuckle. It's uh, I don't. You, you we're all thinking about the lines as well. But there's a scene where he's just like, "Oh, you're a racist, then are you?" Yeah. Because <laughs> even like the family that Murtock saves, he still uses like very bare knuckle language to that. But I'm going to say now, the introduction of Butters I think works because 
Chris Rock was obviously there just to do a routine. And he holds it. There is a scene with Leo Getz, which is actually quite funny, where I think Chris Rock was just doing his stand-up material. And Chris Rock was probably the funniest, funniest man in the, the world at the time. So. Yeah, there is that bit, isn't there, where Leo Getz pulls up along the side of him in the car. Like, oh, who's the pit? Who's the pit? And he's like, you see a black person in the back of a car. Yeah, James just, like, yeah. just genuinely think he was just doing his stand-up. Um, but... <clears throat> And I do think that the reason why this still qualifies as a lethal weapon, and you know when they talk about Riggs isn't a lethal weapon, it's because it's Jet Li. Jet mm. Li does, Jet Li's phenomenal, it doesn't speak English. Mm. Doesn't actually engage in conversation with the um, the two main characters. At no point do they speak to each other. They they meet, but he doesn't speak to him. And in the end, they just batter piss out of each other. And I like the fact that they basically kind of had to cheat to win. Yeah. Jet Li's greatness. And I, I, I don't know if you can tell me, I'm a big Jet Li fan. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the pier scene at the end, isn't there? Yeah, it's quite catchy. I still think so. I think the fight scene, I think, I don't like how they get there, but I like the fact that they get there because Murtoch says he's going to get arrested because the good guys have shown up. He's the only one standing. And then he convinces Riggs and Riggs is like, yeah, okay, let's, let's walk away. Let's let, let's let the good guys catch it. But then they're like, I do want to ask him how he did that thing with the gun. Mm. And it shoots you back to the first one. In the first film, one of the greatest things is at the end, Mr. Joshua goes in to shoot the house up. He goes in and starts shooting everywhere. And then there's a little note that says, um, dear bad guys, no one home. And then they fucking drive a car <laughs> through their own house and all the police have surrounded. But it's not about the arrest because Riggs wants to beat piss out of Mr. Joshua. And they do it on a lawn whilst it's raining, but it's not raining. It's because a, I always wondered why it was raining. And is... I didn't realise until the other day it's because they hit a fire hydrant. It's a callback to the first film, which I, I love a callback. I love a full circle. And he's like, he, it's that little spark he's like have I still got it and it turns out no he hasn't but he still wins <laughs> I mean the fight the fight with uh, jo- you know Mr. Joshua at the end of that first one is is brilliant it is brilliant because they're, they're you know when you learn the history that they they were competing at, at uh, Marine Academy it's Marine School <laughs> yeah um, and, and Gibson was the champ yeah, he's like you want to take the title and yeah. then that fight and there's that bit where like Mr. Joshua's got his head in a puddle and he's and uh, Murtaugh's like Tell me when Riggs is it to say, like, if you've had enough, don't worry. I'll we'll, shoot him. You'll shoot him. <laughs> and, and he's like, no, back off. And there's all the, like, fight scene. And it's, and it, I think he even says game over when he knocks him out at the end of the film. <laughs> Fucking DX chops him. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Lethal Weapon 4, there's fun to be had in it, but it, it's it's quite unforgiving with some it's of the dialogue. Um, so so we uh, talked sorry we talked about last week as well with 90s movies being a bit unforgivable with special effects like in Armageddon mm. Um, and this is one of those as well where even at the beginning like the bit when he shoots the guy with a flamethrower and the gun and he kind of like it's almost like you know the scenes of Boba Fett in the seventies when he's like jetpack's gone weird and he's like and then he hits a lorry which blows up on impact and the you can even see in the stunt the wheels curl in underneath the lorry and you're like Oh, it just, it, you could have just shot him in the head. I, I'm going to tell you something now, though. Do you know what I fucking loved? In the first film, there's a psychiatrist who basically says, watch out for Riggs, he's on his end. And the captain says, no, he's just a psych, he's just trying to draw a psycho pencil. He's basically making yeah, it all up. Yeah, it's all an act, yeah. In the second one, she's there to give support and they kind of joke off. In the third one, she's there to give it support and they, and she laughs up. She's a joke for three films. And in the fourth one, Riggs goes to her for advice. He's like, fuck off, Riggs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that callback. That's one of my favourite callbacks, yeah. where she's just basically go suck an egg. Riggs. Actually, you're right. Yeah, I think that, you know what we're doing is we're talking about three, two, three, and four, and keep going back to the first about how yeah. good the first one was. And you're right. I forgot about that angle about um, 
It's like the recurring. Yeah, the, the, well, the fact that yeah, they think it's a joke and it's or or it's he's trying to get the the, the pension, the early payout. Um, yeah, I think I think Lethal Weapon Four had that element, you know, of bringing Jet Li in was a good idea. I think it kind of gave a new dynamic yeah. to the two. I suppose it asked the question: What would happen in number five? Like, I can only imagine. They're dinosaurs. I, well, they I can, are I, I can dinosaurs. only imagine someone close to him dies. Leo gets fingers crossed. <laughs> I can only imagine someone dies, and it and it and it um it causes the two to come out of retirement. Yeah. Or they're going to do the flashback thing where it's two younger actors playing them. But again, it wouldn't make sense because they they got paired together in middle age. In the, yeah. I think Mel Gibson's meant to be thirty eight in the first movie, and. Danica was meant to be 50. He is 50 in the first film, yeah. which, which if you do maths, that's an 87. So he's nearing his 90s now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's got to be that a cold case reopens. I, I would imagine they are it. retired. I think you're perfect. I think if if Joe Pesci hasn't signed on as well, he's dead. Someone killed him. They'd go for it because he's their friend. Or, 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 or Chris Rock but comes back as Butters, yeah. wins an Oscar, slaps Will Smith when he goes and gets it. What? Nice. Love that's it. the fucking redemption arc I want to see. As far as the Oscars, the Academy's like, right, Will, we'll redact some of that 10-year sentence we've given you. If you can call If you take a work. slap. <laughs> For Lethal Weapon 5. <laughs> Weirder things have happened, Crash. And does Lethal Weapon... Do right, so do you actually want to see a Lethal Weapon 5? Is no, it, not really. So I'm going to tell you now, one of my favourite things in, history, in, in film recently, in the last, what, 10 years, has been going back to older characters and seeing what they're up to. And the biggest example of this is, is, is Rocky. I liked mm-hmm. Rocky Balboa, the sixth film. I liked it. I liked the idea that he, he still had some fighting in him. But not only that, it's when we explored the character as a trainer when we went through the Creed series. I loved that. Thought that was great. Rambo, to me, I was so excited for Rambo, the, I can't, it would have been the fifth one, mm-hmm. because I thought they were going to down a storyline where he was hunting someone from the Afghan war, because it made more sense to me. It was like, oh, he'll be the cap, he'll be the general that was looking after him in the first one. They didn't go down that route, very disappointing. I was like, you could have told an original story, but also retold a story, if that makes sense. Yeah. I was really looking forward to that. They didn't do that. I've got no interest in watching Lethal Weapon 5, and I love the series. Uh, even the dark elements that you don't really like about the fourth one, they, they don't sit well. There are still good bits in that. Like, I could watch it, but I got no interest in seeing this. Is like, it, it's so interesting. But, but then I'm a hypocrite because I really want to see Indiana Jones 5, despite the fact I've heard it's very mixed. I'm still mm. excited to see it. So maybe I'm just a whore. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think, I think think if it had been always intended to be five movies, yeah. you know, or after the fourth one, they had an idea that we're like, we'll do later down the line. I it think just, right. It just seems to come out of nowhere. It's like, like the, they're like, oh, nostalgia, nostalgia is selling at the minute. Let's do Lethal Weapon 5. The TV series was a bigger hit than we expected. You know. I, Again, crowded, uh, shrouded in controversy, wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Dude, they killed off Reese after season two and fired the actor mm. because apparently he was an asshole. Um, but then I'm not, I've got to admit, I guess it would come down to the trailer. Do you know what? If I saw that trailer and it got me excited, I'd probably be a bit pumped. But Lethal Weapon 5 is not a film that I don't think anyone screamed out for, unless you're the makers of uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They're two cracks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is unofficial sequels go are very good. You should watch them. Um, no, I love the Lethal Weapon series. I thought the first one was actually, I would say the word groundbreaking. Mm. I say the second and the, th- the second and the third and the fourth aren't lazy sequels, but they don't offer that much difference. However, you do get to explore characters. And what's really good, and we we say this, if you do a sequel, 
you don't have to do the rebuild of the relationship. You can tell, you can pick up, if you're doing Lethal Weapon 2, it's like, well, well, they don't have to meet each other. You know where the relationship is. We can tell a story. You're not surrounded in backstory. Uh, sorry, you don't have to do more backstory. You've done it. You can tell an original story. But the fifth one, maybe I'll be wrong, maybe be brilliant. I call it now. Riggs now works freelance for the police as a, like a kind of mentor psychiatrist role for cops that have PTSD. Mm. Um, so he his arc is that he now helps cops That'd be cool. with it. One of the young recruits will die in a shady circumstance. Yeah. Blackmailed, you know, something like that. Mm. Does something that doesn't suit it. He then takes it upon himself to investigate. He goes to Murdoch for one scene for advice. Probably. I think it will be a long line. Because you can't, you can't wheel Danny Glover out to, to solve a case. <laughs> when he's too old for this shit. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's, it's just the joke, isn't it? That he's too old for it fucking back in 1988. Yeah. <laughs> or 87. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's, they'll, they'll do it regardless. I, I mean, the other thing as well is, is police at the moment aren't, aren't the heroes. Aren't the heroes. They're they, not it's the not, heroes. It's not property that, I think film studios are looking to get behind. So I think you have to take Riggs away from being a cop. I mean, you look at what's happening in France, you look at what happened in America, you know, you, cops aren't... Look at this country, look at his own country, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's not, they're, they're not the heroes at the moment. So I I, I think... We need more realistic where all our heroes are bitten by radioactive spiders. Mm. That's, the, that's the world I want to live in. Talking of which, I went back to the cinema this week, James. Yeah, you did. Did you see? You told us we did an episode a few weeks back, and you were like, oh, "I'll go see Flash. I'll go see this. I'll go see that." What did you watch? What did you watch? I want to watch the new Wes Anderson movie, Astro whore, City. Whore. I will watch the Flash this week. Don't I don't care about Spider-Man, the Flash. It's, and I will watch Spider Man. Into the I would double bill him. You better. But I, I had a date night with a wife, a child. To be evening. fair, of those three films, the one most likely to only be in a cinema for one day exactly. is the Wes Anderson one. And we went to a five o'clock screening on a Thursday. Empty. I, I'll tell you the truth, mate. And it's not, I had delusions of grandeur that I was going to walk in the cinema and they were going to start applauding and be like, you're back. Because <laughs> I think I kept that cinema afloat at one point. How, uh, how much has it changed? Because obviously I've moved. I don't live in Lincoln anymore. I haven't been to that cinema in ages. I didn't know any of the staff, didn't know any of the faces. There was one bloke that we did get to know for a while when we were going. There's the American guy. And then, yeah, there's a few members of staff that I'd say hello to. He's a bit more digital now. The scan matic instead of the point of this little tear in it. Don't like it. I did like that. Yeah. Um, screen two, so ground floor to the left. Oh, you didn't have to go up to the escalator or something? Got a popcorn. Popcorn? There you go. Yeah, that's with the wife, so we've got a mix. Mixed? Salt. You don't like salt? No, I wanted salt. Oh, there you go. Um, What's wrong with your missus, eh? That's twice she's pissed you off today. (laughs) Uh, Went went to go watch, uh, uh, yeah, Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson movie. Because, yeah, I thought it was going to get a shorter run um, than, I suppose, Indiana Jones and all the others that are out at the moment, which which I will get to see in. It's a Wes Anderson movie. It's a fucking huge cast. Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson. Um, it's got Jeffrey Wright in it, uh, Tom Hanks, Tilda Swindon, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Adrian Brody, Liv Schreiber, Hope Davis, um, Rupert Friend, Friend, Friends, you know, the uh, hitman. Yeah. Um, I've got a question for you. When's it set? Matt Dillon, Steve Carell, uh, Jeff Goldblum, Margot Robbie, William Defoe. It's set in 1955, James. Oh, shocking. Oh, it's actually got a distinctive date in it. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Set in nine fifty-five. It's it's a it's a it's a comedy drama written, directed, produced uh, by Wes Anderson in the mind from Wes Anderson, and it is. So the main premise of the film is it's nineteen fifty-five. There's a place called Asteroid City where a certain 
um, families are arriving to take part in a, uh, or the children of those families are taking part in a um, junior stargazer space cadet convention. So in the I middle can, of this t- um, desert... You can literally smell where that is. I know, oh, mate. In the middle of this desert, there's a motel with a little garage. You know, it's all on one strip. There's a, there's a motel, there's a garage, there's a, a restaurant and a, a space uh, station led by Jeffrey Wright in a military role and Tilda Swindon as a lead scientist. And these five young academic stargazers are there because they've each won a, a certain awards, competition, um, trophy, ribbon, you know, mm. for their achievements. Um, and whilst they're there, um, certain things happen. There's, it's a previous meteor site where something has landed. That's why it's held there. And so there's a relic in this crater. Um, anyway, things happen. Hijinks ensue with these quirky characters and families. You know, like they've, they've each, you know, the, all the families got like a different story as to why they're there, and their kids have done different things. It, but that is a play. So the film is about a play called Asteroid City, which is this. So you also get all of those actors playing other people that are in the play. So Brian Cranston narrates it. He breaks the 4-4. He talks to the camera throughout it. Mm. He's told over three Mm. acts. So it actually comes up going act one, scenes one to five, and then you see it and it goes back to Brian Cranston and 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 it gives a bit of backstory about how Scarlett Johansson's character is an actor playing in Asteroid City. And so it plays into Wes Anderson's... um, Arsenal because when we're actually seeing the Asteroid City stuff you can tell it's a fake backdrop because yeah. it's supposed to be a play and at the beginning of the film Cranston kind of you know Edward Norton's the writer of this play and he and you know, there's this big monologue at the mo- at the beginning where he's like and the backdrop will have this and off to the side there'll be that and there'll be this on this side and of course then when you go to Asteroid City that's all there yeah and you can tell that that's a fake backdrop and it's one road in and one road out because it would be on a stage um it's really good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I'm a Wes Anderson fan. I like it much, much more than than uh, French Dispatch. Which you don't like French Dispatch. I liked it, but I thought just liked I, it. Yeah, but the the grail to me of Wes Anderson is Grand Budapest and Moonrise Kingdom. So I Esther has watched recently Grand Budapest Hotel because it's on Disney Plus, and I said, "Yeah, you, you will like that because I know you." And I was like, "I don't really like Wes Anderson, but I fucking love Grand yeah. Budapest Hotel," and she loved it. So if I like them, but not big fan of you know, the other things. Am I going to like Asteroid City? Yeah, because it is more, it's more, it's closer towards um, Grand Moonrise Kingdom and, and Grand Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom. And of course, obviously the other grails are Fantastic Mr. Fox. I mean, that's, that's uh, yes, brilliant. Obviously. Yeah. So it does feel more like those than um, Darjeeling Express or um, the French Dispatch. Yeah. You know, there are a few things that I didn't get on with. I did, you know, Tom Hanks is not, it's not used. There's no need for Tom Hanks in this film. I know that. Tatorless me. Well, I know. I know. I mean, that's that's not. I mean, because that's not anything against Tom Hanks because his his role isn't really. It's a Wes Anderson movie, so no one's role is overly significant. Yeah. Um, you know, the, if anyone, Jason Schwartzman's the lead in this. Uh, everyone else kind of gets little bit parts. You know, like William Dafoe turns up for two scenes. Jeff Goldblum, blinking, you miss him. He has, he has one line, but it's very funny. It's very, very funny. Do you funny. know what? That's how I like my Goblin. Just like, yeah, in, snap, the camera's gone. panning past him. And you're like, oh, there's Jeff Goblin. And he says something, you're like, fucking brilliant. Um, you know, Jeffrey Wright's great in this. Tilda Swindon's lovely in this film as well. They, they've got a great performance. Scott Hansen's really good. You know, um, Scott Hansen almost plays like meta in her own character. She plays an actor in the film, you know, in the, in the, she's, she, so she, she's an actor who gets a job in the play as an actor. You know, so it's, it's, her her role is really good. The dialogue's whippy, it's quirky, it's fun. The thing that ruins it is that the TikTok trend at the moment about people doing all these like um 
you know, a day in the life of, you know, decorating a bathroom in the style of Wes Anderson. And he's yeah. got that music and everyone's using the palette. And Wes Anderson's gone on to say, I hate that. It's not a, that's not like a, well, he didn't say he hated it, but he says he gets tagged in a lot of them and shown them and he's got no interest in him because he doesn't, I think it's more along the lines it's not necessarily an honour or a privilege or, or anything. Yeah, I it's get kind that, of, It's almost, because I sat in the cinema and was like, oh, it's like one of those TikToks I've been seeing. And I was like, oh, no, no, this is his work. You know, this is what he does. <laughs> he's just taking inspiration from TikTok. And, it, you know, it's, a, it's all the Wes Anderson things there. You've got, you know, certain scenes that are in, you know, an aspect ratio of, you know, 12-8 where it's very square. You've got the wide pan stuff. I'll be honest, that actually pisses me off. You've got every, everything <laughs> is symmetrical. Everyone is in centre screen. You know, you've got very smooth pan to the left and right. You've got characters acting... Adults acting like children and children acting like adults. Like you get how many deadpan characters do you have? A lot. Um, I mean, everyone is deadpan I in this film. I hate deadpan acting. Tom Hanks for me though was the point where every time he's on stage uh, on screen, I was like, "Oh, it's Tom Hanks. He's not. He's not an indie darling." You know what I mean? He's not. He, but that's really weird. What I do like about that is that he's obviously seen his work. And I'll, mm. I'll try it. I'll try it because obviously everyone you've listed there is kind of alumni. They all go back. Wes Anson usually gets a good performance just because I don't like his work doesn't mean to say that his work's not great. It was... He's fantastic but, work. It's just not for me, some of them. But, he, but I don't feel did, like Tom Hanks doesn't fit that mould. Yeah. So, and I'll tell you who does. Bill Murray. Oh, Bill Murray He's been in every right. other Wes Anson movie. Oh, is he not in this one? He's not in it. Oh, and, right, and, and okay. I was thinking, why is that not... And Bill Murray, he probably had... You know, he's probably an Ant-Man 3 and it caused a conflict of diaries. <sighs> but... You're saying you that know, You need... No, it's on Disney Plus. <laughs> I will watch it. Um you know, you've got an elderly grandparent role in this. Bill Murray. Bill Murray should have done it. You know, uh, who's playing golf at the beginning of the movie? It's, it screams Murray. You know, it stinks for Murray. Um, it is, yeah, it's funny. I did laugh quite a few times throughout it. There's a particularly spectacularly Wes Anderson middle scene, which if you had never seen a Wes Anderson movie before, there's a scene that happens in the middle of this film where you would just go, what? <laughs> and... Afterwards, it was the focal point of talking. It was yeah. like, that was so, it, it, it's so odd and funny. that um, it, Well, I won't spoil what happens, but yeah, it was it was a good movie. It's not over long, so that's the other thing with French Dispatches. I felt it felt it felt long. This yeah. doesn't, didn't. There's no scene dragged. There's enough of everyone. And then as you do get into Act 3, if you were getting tired, that's when you start getting William Defoe and you start getting people out and you're like, Adrian Brody comes into it and you're like, oh, cool, Brody's there. He's, he's in good shape. Look at that. And, you know, and he, he he delivers quite a few good lines in it. I've missed Adrian Brody, you know? Yeah, I you know, it was well-paced. I thought it was a good film. It's it's in my upper echelons of Wes Anderson's career, um, which was refreshing. And so it wasn't a disappointment on date night to go there and watch Astro City. So Still feel like, though, across the spot first, mate. I will watch it. You need to, because we need to geek out about that. We will geek. Although by the time you watch it, we'll also be able to have a spoiler conversation about it with our listeners. So go out and watch that. And from the sounds of it, on the recommendation, if you're a big fan of Moonrise Kingdom and the obviously the pinnacle, which is probably the best... Grand Buddha. Grand Buddha Pest Hotel. You should check out... Uh, it, Asteroid City. Asteroid City, and that's in the cinemas. Probably gone by now. Because <laughs> it's Wes Anderson. But if you don't live anywhere other than Lincoln, you've probably got an, <laughs> you've probably you've probably got yeah. an indie cinema. So, uh, yeah. Just free what? Yeah, so that sounds like a great recommendation. Do you know what? If we go for our blast towards the past, made Esther sit down. I didn't make it, but I was like, I put on Bad Times at the El Royale, which is a film oh, that yeah, I was I, talking about that this week. It's, it's, it's on Disney Plus. So, listeners, we've reviewed it before. It's an absolutely cracking performance. It's got a skeleton cast in it, but it's got a great John Hamm, and I love my John Hammy. Uh, Spoilers, goes out of it too early. 
He does, yeah. Um, and then it's got, and I genuinely think he's probably A-listed here. And when you talk about greats of Hollywood, we never talk about Jeff Bridges being the best. Mm. It's a fantastic performance. And uh, who's the actress? Oh, Dakota you, Johnson. And you're not even a fan of Dakota Johnson, but she's great in that mm. film. And then probably the best performance from Chris Hemsworth at the end. It just, it's a great performance. She loved it. And yeah, I, it's because I, I was talking about cults. Ah, That's there you go. About it. Wonder why you're talking about cults. Oh, I wanted to join a cult for six months. To see what it was like, but I want, but I said I wanted to join like like a good one, like a friendly one, one that doesn't end with like mass suicides or, or, or stabbings or killings. Or well, what about like a group of gentlemen that? No, I read. <laughs> no, I just wanted to join a cult to just see what it's like, just the community aspect of it. Um, so if anyone knows of any that are applying, just let me know what the registration form is and yeah, we should join the court of Xander Berkeley or genuinely trying to get on this show. Can't believe that. You joined Twitter again for two days. You could nearly get Xander Berkeley on the show. Don't get anywhere near John Cena, though. <laughs> and, then, and, and, then, and, then, and then Twitter's gone dead again. <laughs> it's like, oh, I did get Xander Berkeley. I'll stop. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got Patreon now. We'll never we'll never lock our episodes away behind a paywall. It's just support. If you want to, we're not asking you to. It's there. Patreon.com forward slash Sims. It's there. We have a Facebook. We're going to start transcribing our... Web, uh, our things now so if, if you you know anyone who's deaf that wants to show we'll, we'll have them in transcript form we're, we're, we're branching out we're trying new things uh, including probably going back to look at some old episodes because I've been thinking I feel like we should have another crack at Star Wars mate because there's three phases of Star Wars and I don't think like we did justice for the last one or the prequel series there's a lot of things to go through I still don't think make episode two did we settle a debate on Al Pacino and Robert De Niro I feel like 251 onwards now it's about perfecting some of these questions. The big questions in Hollywood. What do you listeners want to hear us perfect and take out back and beat to death? <laughs> this is the next 250 episodes, just going back through them all yeah, again. Back and, back and, and, and correcting them. <laughs> Ending with Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was it as shit as we said? I think, yeah, the Star Wars one's a decent one, actually, because I have finished now. Obviously, now I'd go into this Star Wars debate Bear in mind that that would have been close to two years, three years ago. Yeah, it was, it was one of our earliest. I feel like we went too early on a lot of them well, as well. Since then, I've watched Clone Wars, the TV show, and the Bad Batch, and we've obviously got Mandalorian TV yeah, shows. Yeah, exactly. That I, one of the things I've taken away is I love the prequel era. Yeah. I love Naboo. I love all of those things. I love the, you know, the droids. It's it's weird what time will do and I'm with you. I, like of of them all, I, I look back at the prequels and go, maybe they weren't as bad. I like as my I clones thought. as heroes as well. I, you know, before Order 66 comes into it. I love as well the foreshadowing that I don't think Lucas did. But there's this argument that historically um, heroes on screen run into battle left to right. Oh, did you and fucking villains like this? come yeah. right to left. And the clones in that film come from right to left, which is foreshadowing that they're the villains. But the greatest comeback to that is actually in Braveheart, though, the Scots come from the right. But they are the villains. But then again, we're watching it as the Englishman. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's... it's um, I do like the prequel era. I love that that time of Star Wars where the Jedi have temples and, yeah. you know, they had the, they had the um, you, you know, the council and all that. I, I like... I'm going to say I like Hayden Christensen now. So actually going back... You do, do you want, mate? We say big things in this podcast, but get to fuck, mate. Don't like his dialogue. <laughs> he hates sand. He gets everywhere. Don't like sand. <laughs> Which would explain why, why Vader is so hands-on until the two droids... Get on sand. Yeah, get, like, no, get, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> see you later. That's probably why Vader's like, no, let him, let you sort out. You, you guys go down and get the two droids that got oh, the death I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm having me on. Yeah, is it, why is it because it's covered in sand? Wait, 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 he's got nothing to do with the sand. I'm on sand, I love sand. Get I'll, I'll get my bucket in spade. <laughs> 
Over the desert. So I feel like we've got some big episodes coming back and we want you to be a part of it. Tell us what you think and everything. Um, probably at some point we're going to do the Fordinator. He says that he's probably done with Hollywood soon. And obviously Indiana Jones 5, the last Indiana Jones, please. <laughs> yeah, he's coming obviously as Red Hulk. That's maybe the next that's, Captain America. Maybe that's the weirdest thing you've Is that what you're going out on? Is, yeah. is that what Ford goes out on? Well, we obviously big giant moneymaker. So there's a lot of big well, questions. He's the most profitable. He, he's the biggest. He's got the biggest box office than anyone. Well, actually, I was going to say Sam what Jackson's it, second. I think what it comes down to is I genuinely think he's played the most iconic characters, and I really would like to go for his filmography and just say Belters because you can't do top three films for Harrison Ford because they'd probably be Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars the five, six, or you'd go Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, Indiana Next Jones. Episode, so it probably the Fordinator Ford. is going to come up at some point. We'll try and get Indiana Jones done. Well, any big questions out there, this is a podcast by listeners, for listeners. What do you want to hear? Like I say, I feel like we, we get back to the degree. We're done. Please, please say that we're done with Steven Seagal. <laughs> it, it was tiring, wasn't it, mate? It's not for us. We, we, we're going on to bigger and better things. Please. <laughs> Doing Armageddon. <laughs> Lethal Weapon. Please. I that, don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> that is our show for this week. Uh, if I do not see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. Go suck an egg.